Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world. From border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea, I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning in to the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare delivery and technology. I'm really pleased today. My guest is Julie Moss. Julie is the founder and CEO of EMR Direct. EMR Direct is well known as a trusted source to simplify and improve health information exchange. Their direct messaging and fire platforms connect hospitals, clinics, healthcare providers, patients, and other healthcare businesses. Julie, welcome to the Tate Chronicles. Thanks so much, Jim. It's nice to be speaking with you again today. Yeah. Well, I'll always like to kind of start at the beginning, Julie. How the heck did you get involved in health information technology? <laughs> well, you know, health IT, um, it, when I started working on it, is really um, extremely sophisticated databases and um, an information exchange. And that's that's where kind of my roots are in data warehousing, um, consumer services, consumer identity. Um, also, my chief technology officer is a board-certified radiologist. So he brought to my attention a lot of issues with data access mm. and some frustrations with caring for patients with all the information that you need. Um, at a point in time when interoperability was really blossoming back in 2012. So what we did is collaborated to kind of amp up enthusiasm about this very sophisticated cryptographic direct messaging capability that mm. looked like it was going to be extremely difficult to implement and maintain. Um, but we wanted to demystify that. So we developed the architecture and decided what we're going to do is be like an extension of an EMR vendor's own team. And we'll be their subject matter experts and their technology infrastructure. They can reach out to us, you know, as if we were in the next room within their building. Um, and we're right there to provide support and affordable capabilities and APIs and many different application frameworks. And that was very well received. So that's how we began in health IT. Um, from there, we've been asked to provide fire services, carry quality services, and, and more to enhance that interoperability platform. So that's where we are today with Interoperability Engine 2021. Well, and, you know, I guess my next question you've kind of already answered is that is uh, what are the services that MR Direct supplies? But uh, who, who are your customers? Obviously, uh, EMR vendors are. Um, who else? Well, that's right. Um, EMR vendors, certainly there are over 150 of those who've certified with us and some who are application developers as business associates using direct messaging and fire infrastructure or digital certificates through us. As one of the certificate authorities that provides certificates to Sequoia initiatives like eHealth Exchange and Carry Quality, we service um, about half of the industry, really, through those certificates and identity services. The identity services that we first deployed in order to service our direct customers really helped us get into the business of providing certificates also for the Sequoia initiatives. 
So those applications include billing, analytics, care coordination, anyone who needs to receive or send faxes with health data in them is now starting to use direct for that or using query-based exchange. You know, we we think of health information, ex, uh, exchange of information, kind of per, from provider to provider, but there's also some non-clinical information in there, insurance companies, reimbursement I- information. Is, is that part of this, uh, the fire inter, uh, infrastructure? Of the fire infrastructure, certainly. Uh, we see, you know, even in the fast accelerator that I participate in quite extensively, there's substantial payer involvement there. I think they really see fire as having potential to uh, help their industry provide better care. And a lot of payers are coming to the table to, to really see what fire can do for their business and how to participate as a stakeholder there, in addition to the providers who've kind of paved the way with their health IT participation for almost a decade now. And, and of course, that um, that that fire requirement is uh, part. Uh, there's a deadline coming up at the end of this year, December 31st, that any base EHR has to have a certified fire API for the exchange of that kind of information. So the requirements yeah, are coming. That, yeah, that's right. That's right. I was tweeting about that a couple of days ago because Steve Posnack was talking about those deadlines more specifically. I guess what he, what I heard him kind of outlay is that the health IT is expected to have this capability by the end of this year, that the implementation itself, which I think he means um, activating those services and deploying the infrastructure will occur in 2023. Yeah, and uh, you definitely it's going to be a, a, a phase rollout as, as well as a phase adoption. Uh, all those third-party apps that, that may start utilizing that FHIR foundation uh, to access information. Um, we're just going to have to wait and see how quickly that will grow. Well, let's talk a little bit about direct messaging, because when you talk to providers about direct messaging, uh, they can kind of be confused because uh, if they will information from uh, maybe a specialist has a patient and they don't have enough information and and they want to get information from the primary physician uh, in the old days and maybe still they will uh, either have somebody request a fax or if they need it faster they'll call over there and since it's coming one doctor to another the other doctor will usually step out of a room and and talk to get an update but what is uh, for provider to provider uh, can you kind of describe direct messaging? Is it just like uh, uh, secure email? Um, is it going to take a cultural or workflow shift for providers in the way they utilize it? You know, that's a great question because many people feel like direct has been around for almost a decade now, and there's really no need to explain it. They take it for granted. It's embedded in everyone's health IT. But I think you've really you're really on the nose with the fact that folks often just miss it. <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. embedded. Maybe maybe each user interface is different. It doesn't look like an email inbox in, in some EMRs like it could. I've heard of some EMRs that have developed message centers where all of their communication modalities are centralized and, and you can kind of 
be at mission control. They're determining where you want data to go and where data has come into you. And it's very obvious. But in some cases, it's not. And you might consider that to be a more elegant user interface because in the context of when you need to transmit something or when you need to look and see if there is additional records that have come in from other providers, that's where you find it. In the deep in the patient reports and records, perhaps. I think what's important, though, like you said, is that it is much like secure email. You can think of it, in fact, just like email, but you can only send direct messages to other direct addresses. Now, the great thing about direct, though, is unlike when you want to email a friend and you have to contact them to get their email address because there's no directory, direct has a nationwide directory. So, um, and, and when a lot of folks are putting their direct addresses and their fire endpoints in NPES because CMS has asked for that too. So if your data um, direct messaging provider has access to the nationwide direct directory, that's definitely a tool that you want to be sure that um, you're using in order to discover these addresses, just like you'd look up a fax number and then transmit or receive from a trusted direct address. Mm. And so uh, where would a provider go to, well, where do they get a direct address from? Where would a provider get one from? Well, uh, from EMR Direct, of course. Okay. <laughs> it depends. Sure. To some extent, if you're with Epic or Meditech, you can go to um, a, a few certified HISPs that mm -hmm. offer H2, H2 XDR HISP service. Yes. Um, we're one of those. So we service Epic and Meditech. For any other EMR vendor, usually there's not that plug and play capability. So they've integrated with a specific HISP that you, they need to go to. So the EMR vendor would tell you which HISP to use. Um, outside of that, if you want to have a web-based direct account in addition to what's in the EMR because you want to send pictures or something that your EMR um, doesn't support a workflow for, um, that's another capability. You can go to anyone, any HISP that provides web-based direct service and get an additional direct address. Um, again, I would just say you want to participate with a HISP that mm -hmm. is part of the directory so that you can benefit from being in the directory and looking up others in the directory too. Well, let me ask you what for you, I'm sure is a pretty basic question. So uh, let's say I'm a primary care uh, provider and I'm sending a patient to an oncologist. And I want to send them an electronic file, one of these uh, interoperability files, uh, maybe the most recent version of this CCDA standard. Uh, would that be sent at like a direct message attachment? Uh, probably, yeah. That would be the that would be, I think, the way that health IT certification intended for a CCDA to go to that referral, mm -hmm. and how how you'd go about doing that if if you don't know, is ask your EMR vendor for training on how to send that message via direct. In the best possible case, it would be obvious from the EMR's user interface how to transmit a CCDA via direct message to a uh, specialist as a referral. And um, the, kind of the uh, going from point A to point B, uh, the, the protocols in the middle the direct message protocols, the, the uh, file, CCDA file requirement uh, requirements and standards uh, allows the fact for uh, certified systems, if they are certified, even if they are from different vendors, for this to work. 
I guess that's part of the plumbing that's been in place. Yeah. 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 That's the beauty of it. Thanks for dispelling that other myth. Sometimes folks come to us and they think, oh, if, if, if I want to send it someone, they have to also be your customer. Well, that's not the case. The direct has been designed for this kind of free market interface where it's a standard and any service provider that you go to can interoperate with the others. Um, there's a, a big matrix of interoperability success that um, that I helped walk everyone through starting back in like 2013 when mm-hmm. the direct trust network began. Um, you've probably seen this, but maybe others haven't. It, it didn't always look all green. We had some little wrinkles to work out. But now that that work is done, everyone with an address basically enjoys interoperability that's fairly seamless without any pre-testing when you first get your address to make sure your endpoint got it okay. Um, you know, Millions of messages are sent daily on this network, and um, it's working well. And, and that way, it is like email. It doesn't matter what computer you're using or which who your internet service provider is. You just need that uh, internet, I mean, your email software, and, and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect analogy, really. I, the only exception is some file types maybe you need to check with your recipient to make sure it's supported or that it will go to the person you expect and, yes. and be looked at by a human. But mm-hmm. yeah, you can really use that analogy, um, except you can't send from a regular email address to a direct Correct. address or vice versa. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, for our listeners who may have just joined us, I'm Jim Tate. And you're listening to the Tate Chronicles. Today, I'm joined by Julie Moss of MR Direct. A couple of high-level uh, things uh, I, I want to ask you about, Julie, because you're so close to all this. Uh, this whole impact of fire, we've heard about it for years. Now it's starting to be required. How will it move us closer to interoperability? It's it just the technology itself going to do it, or is the technology going to allow for the uh, kind of blossoming and blooming of all kind of third-party apps and 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 new uh, workflows and processes. Well, yes, to all of that, it's it's kind of this smorgasbord of of new capabilities. I guess mm. particularly, I'd call out the fact one that the data is more granular. So when you talk about um, patient consent or uh, unlocking data availability. Data holders don't have to worry about releasing an entire CCDA to another party. We're talking possibly about just releasing allergies to someone else or just releasing demographic information to an outside party. So those rules about data sharing can become much more fine-grained in approach, and, and people can become more comfortable with that. And then also the apps that you mentioned are so key. If we are all on the same version of Fire, um, you know, getting to getting to some kind of open API was was a big step. But now we're um, really in lockstep and starting into 2023. At anyone who has open APIs available, they're going to be Fire R4. So this means that developers making apps and you know creating that that home run diabetes management app, they mm. can develop that once and have it work on any data source from any EMR vendor. So that's huge for that innovation space to be able to utilize health data and help patients really, really propel their health forward with these new capabilities and innovations. 
that's going to be fascinating to watch these uh, third party organizations, startups, who knows what. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of the very, very early days of personal computers when the first spreadsheets, first one I remember was called Lotus 123. Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, that was released. And then it was unbelievable the applications that were developed and, and uses for it that the developers of Lotus 123 had no concept about. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll have that kind of blossoming take place. Well, we yeah, it's very go, exciting. No, uh-huh. go ahead. Go ahead. Also really excited about that. Um, another thing I, I want to get your uh, your thoughts on, Julie, is TEFCA. Now, Kefka, TEFCA, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, we had the first regional health information organizations, RIOs. Then we had health information exchanges, the HIEs. Some are regional. Some are are, are, are local. Some are based on uh, hospital systems. Some can exchange data. But now TEFCA, uh, which after about four years of work, is getting closer and closer to reality as a way to exchange, request to exchange data from one side of the country to another. Uh, I didn't explain it very well, but uh, to me, that's kind of I envision it. And so this is like the next big attempt at nationwide exchange of data. Um, anything you want to add to that or how much of a promise do you think TEFCA brings and is it a stepping stone or is it the end point? Well, you know, I think your description of it was fantastic, Jim. And I, from my perspective, I guess what I would add is that TEFCA has, has kind of already begun to work itself in and, and do its good work. You know, we've been looking at it, as you said, as an industry for four years now, and it's it's been a North Star and it's been mm. a mm-hmm. it's been a destination that we've been wanting to get to. So I think a lot of the coalescing around what we would need to do to get there and that work is, is has already been happening. Um, you know, care equality has started using those IAL2 certificates like TEFCA prescribed um, in the last couple of years already. Folks in fire standards groups that I'm in talk about the TEFCA use cases and how we would get there and that that negotiation of federating or making reusable mm. um, OpenID Connect credentials at a healthcare grade and, and the patient matching demographics that would be necessary to enable business-to-business exchange in a TEFCA setting and a broadcast query. Those things have really been sprinkled all over our industry already. So um, I I think it it doesn't maybe matter so much how and when we get to TEFCA because everyone is working together to make the promise of it a reality, I think, and have, have our typical health IT operations look like the vision of Tesca at some point in the future already. You know, one of the things I really like about the uh, Tesca uh, blueprint or, or skeleton is that um, once a provider, probably going to be through their EHR, well, Tesca, of course, being a network of networks. And so as long as uh, you're able to connect to a network, you're connected to all networks. 
Um, and so uh, the ability of somebody in a provider in South Florida to request information uh, on a patient and that information on that patient could be in, you know, in, in New England, it can be in the Midwest, it can be in California. And those uh, TEFCA requests will will go through all the those uh, qualified health information networks and, and retrieve that information. I mean, it's uh, you, you kind of wish we could have started there, but we had to have these these other attempts as building blocks. Um, I, I guess in, in some countries that have universal health care and one EHR system is kind of built in. We don't have that here, so there had to be something uh, developed. Um, uh, like Tefka, the, some of the things I like about Tefka is it's backwardly compatible. So all the work that has been done, HIEs or whatever, are not going to be just um, obsolete once Tefka really starts get rolling. That's a to me a a big benefit of the of the plan. Yeah, um, I agree with you about that. It, I, I I know Julie, you were on a lot of working groups and organizations to kind of help 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 motivate and move all this along, and you're very close to it. Uh, what are some of the organizations that, that you work with? You mentioned the, f some fire information. What else? What groups do you work yeah, with? Yeah, so one of them, I work with the HL7 FAST Accelerator. So mm -hmm. um, that was formerly the FAST Identity Tiger Team. Um, I've worked also with Unified Data Access Profiles, UDAP. Um, that standard is now a part of the FAST Security Solution. Um, also in the Care Equality Fire Implementation Guide and in the TESCA Fire Roadmap. So um, along with that, I'm on the Board of Direct Trust. I work in several Direct Trust work groups. Uh, there's security and trust compliance and certificate policy and practices. Um, both uh, work groups, I would say, that, that help manage the network itself of direct trust, much uh, and kind of a parallel to the Tesca network management that that's occurring in the future. Well, Julie, um, anytime I have a question about any of this, you can be the one that I call upon, so you can expect those emails <laughs> from me. Um, uh, one final okay. question is uh, question: How can listeners find out more about EMR Direct? Oh, wow, that's a tough one, Jim. Um, <laughs> Obviously, they can go to emrdirect.com. Uh, we also have some videos that we've produced recently, as well as a um, summer fireworks webinar series. So mm -hmm. we've found those to be really helpful for people to um, start digging into fire if they're a late implementer needing to get into that now. But thank you for the opportunity to share um, about EMR Direct and yeah. this future where where we get some parity with financial services companies mm. and start to have something that looks like the credit reports they can work with that helps um, propel our healthcare IT forward. You, you mentioned those videos. Are they available from the website or are they on YouTube? I'm going to watch some of those. Oh, yeah. They're at bit.ly slash fire hyphen works. Okay. Um, and we will put that uh, in the... Uh, show notes so people can take a look at those because I want to see some of those. Well, to uh, our audience, um, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Tag Chronicles. And I offer a special salute to my guest today, Julie Moss. Julie, thanks for coming aboard today. 
You bet, Jim. Thanks so much. Great to talk with you. A pleasure working with you. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.